Good evening again. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, you can turn in your copy of the scriptures to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have some over on the the tables. Listen as I read Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are worthy of all our praise and adoration and faith. And uh, we, we come to you on this Good Friday, on this day when we especially remember that you sent your Son into the world uh, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life, to die in our place under the law and under your judgment, that we might know full forgiveness of sins, that we might know even as we sang earlier, uh, full atonement you have made. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now by your word. Show us again the sufficiency of your son. Help us to trust you. Nourish your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we are just here on Good Friday, continuing through our our series uh, in Mark's gospel on this Good Friday. And so we, we come to the story of the rich young man. It's a story that, that actually speaks so pointedly to who we are as uh, 21st century Americans. Uh, this man is perhaps one of the people that we should be able to relate to 
the most in, in all the scriptures. Why is that? Well, this man is wealthy. He's self-made. He's, he's a sort of like a self-sufficient uh, guy, self-assured, image conscious. But at the very same time, he is restless, uncertain, insecure, and depressed. And if that doesn't describe us, I, I don't know what, what does. Uh, when, when he encounters Jesus, he, he walks away sorrowful. And sadly, many in our day will encounter Jesus and they will walk away sorrowful and, and disheartened and they will leave. This text uh, gives us, helps us uh, not to do that. Uh, this story tells us how to avoid that by showing us three truths. The first truth is trusting in yourself is futile. Why? Because you are desperately needy. That's two. But, number three, God is extravagantly generous. Three points. You are uh, trusting in yourself is futile. Number two, you are desperately needy. And three, God is extravagantly generous. So let's look at this man that, that approaches Jesus. You know, but it's, it's interesting that by every outward estimation, uh, this guy is a respectable, even an impressive man. When, when he comes to Jesus, you, you, you see there in the passage that he knelt before him. It's a sign of pious respect. And then he addresses Jesus, good teacher, another sign of his reverence to Jesus. Do, do you also notice that when uh, Jesus uh, encounters the man, it says that Jesus loved him. Now, th- this guy seems to be concerned about obeying the commands. And there are other people that Jesus encounters that are concerned about obeying the commands, namely the Pharisees. But when Jesus comes across the Pharisees, his disposition towards them is usually agitation and anger, and he's critical. Not because, I'm not saying that he doesn't love the Pharisees, but he's harsh with the Pharisees. But he's not harsh with this guy. He, he, we might say it this way. His heart went out to him. Now, what that tells me is that this guy is not like the Pharisees and that he's not a hypocrite. He's sincere. Now, he, he may very well be, and he is sincerely wrong, but he is sincere. And Jesus' heart, he, he feels a deep, that word love means that Jesus has a, a deep affection for him. And, and then the last thing is, uh, this guy is wealthy. Uh, the, 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 you see there in... Um, uh, verse 22, that he had great possessions. And that, that may, may, you know, in, in our day, that doesn't have like a moral character to it. But in the first century, uh, especially in, in, in Jewish culture, to be wealthy was to be blessed and favored by God. Right? Someone was wealthy was, was favored uh, by God. So, so by every estimation, uh, this is a stand-up guy. And um, by the disciples' estimation and by this man's own estimation, he, he would have been sort of like a prime candidate for membership in the kingdom of God. Right? He would have been, in his own estimation and in the disciples' estimation, sort of a, a shoe-in for eternal life in the kingdom of God. The exact kind of person that, that Jesus would want on his team. But look how Jesus responds to this man. He comes to Jesus as good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I wish I could sort of just zap your memory for a second. I wish I could just zap your brain so that it could be like you never heard this story before. Because if I did that, I am confident that when, when you hear Jesus say that, your response, that would not be what you expect Jesus, how you expect Jesus to respond to this man. Jesus says to the man, uh, good teacher, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. It makes you almost want to say like, whoa, Jesus, why you got to be so rude? Here's this guy's coming up asking you about eternal life and you're, you know, you're going to criticize him because he's addressing you as good teacher? Why does Jesus do that? Well, it's because that Jesus knows that in this man's heart, and, and, and for us, he is, he is setting the stage, showing us the, the dangers of trusting in yourself. He, he knows this man has come to him self-assured and, and confident in his own performance and credentials. Right? When he comes and says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? He's looking to Jesus sort of like a tack on. It's like an accessory to his life. And we're going to go on to see, I've done all these things. Just tell me what the other thing is that I need to do and I'll do it. He's confident in his own credentials and his own performance. And so Jesus, from the very jump, means to lovingly and gently humble him and, and sort of cut him down to size and, and help him see who he is truly. That is, he is needy before God, not rich. And he is morally bankrupt, bankrupt before God's law, not righteous. The first link in that chain, if you will, is the truth that no one is good. God alone is good. That no one is good. And so Jesus holds up to him God's law. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus goes on to reference six commands. If you're familiar with the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, you obviously recognize them here. They are the bottom six commandments. Two things to notice. The first thing. The, the, the six commands that he, refer, that he refers to here uh, deal with how we are to treat one another. So if you know the Ten Commandments, or if you remember when Jesus in Matthew 22, remember when Jesus uh, in Matthew 22 summarizes the whole law? Remember how he summarizes it? Uh, the whole law could be summed as this. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. The bottom six commands deal with that second of, of, of those commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Love God and love people. So here Jesus is essentially asking this man, have you obeyed the command to love your neighbor? Second thing to notice, Jesus does not explicitly reference the command to covet. Did you notice that? If you read through that, he, he, he rattles off the six commands, but he actually leaves one out. He, he doesn't reference, or he doesn't say explicitly at least, the command, do not covet. And says, instead, he says, do not defraud. Why do you think Jesus does that? Well, I'll tell you why I think he does that. I think he does that because it was common for wealthy people to make their money defrauding people. And, it's, and Jesus is here subtly hinting to this guy at what Jesus knows actually has a hold of his heart. What his heart is actually grasped, grasped, that's a hard word to say, by. Uh, and, it's, and it's wealth, right? So in this way, Right? He is coveting his neighbor's goods. We, we, we don't know the history of his dealings, but, but perhaps Jesus does. And here he's sort of subtly suggesting that what has a hold of his heart is money. 
and wealth. Notice also that, that Jesus doesn't reference the first four commands, which deals with our love for God. Why does Jesus do that? Again, here's why I think he does that. I think he does that because he's, again, subtly suggesting that there's something deeply wrong about this man's relationship with God. Essentially, Jesus is saying, uh, you, you actually have an idol. There's something wrong with your relationship to God. In other words, those commands, those four commands to, to, to love God, not to make an idol, you have a God, but it's not Yahweh. It's, it's your wealth. But unfortunately, this man is blind to his idolatry and the way in which he's trusting in himself. He, he responds. So he, Jesus runs through, runs through those commandments, and here's his response. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done it. Here, I, here you go. Here's my, here's my resume, my credentials, my qualifications. In effect, he says to Jesus, um, here's, here's why I qualify. Here's what I've done. Don't, don't you think I measure up? What about you? How do you approach Jesus? Do you come to Jesus trusting in your resume or in your performance? Here's how you know. You want to know how you know? I'll tell you how you know. Do you think God delights in you and accepts you when things are going really well spiritually in your life. But when things are not going so well, you think God is scowling with a hammer ready to drop. Is that how you relate to God? If it is, uh, then you're relating to God in this performance-based way. You're relating to God in the way this man is relating to Jesus. You're, you're relating to God as if your relationship based, is based on your performance and your resume and your qualifications. But, but look, he, here's what Jesus wants this man to see. Jesus wants this man to see that his qualifications, his credentials, his obedience, his law-keeping could never, ever, ever be enough. Look what Jesus says. Jesus responds to this man absolutely, utterly exposes him and reveals the true God of his heart. Look, look, look at this. Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In other words, Jesus says to him, lay down your idol, put your hope not in your wealth and not in yourself. Trust God, come follow me. And, and, and look, with, with this single command, he just gives this single command. Jesus entirely exposes this man's guilt and the futility of trusting in himself. Jesus shows him that he actually hasn't followed the command to love God or to love people. Why hasn't he followed the command to love God? Jesus exposes to him his idol, doesn't he? He says, lay down, lay down your wealth. Lay down your idol. Lay down the thing that, is actually has a, that actually has a hold in your heart. Look, this is not a command that you know, anyone that would come into the kingdom has to sell everything that they have. He's, Jesus is putting his finger on this man's idol, and he's saying, lay it down. 
crucify your idol, lay down your idol and come after the true God. Now, look what else he does. What is he supposed to do with his wealth? Give it, give it to the poor. Right? This man has just told Jesus that he has obeyed all of you know, the, the, the summary of those six commands, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So now Jesus gives this man an opportunity to actually demonstrate his heartfelt love for these people by actually letting go of his wealth to bless them, and, and he, he won't do it. So in one fell swoop, Jesus condemns this man under the entirety of the law. No, you actually haven't loved God because you have an idol, because you're trusting in your wealth, and you actually don't love people. Because here's an opportunity for you to actually lay, lay your wealth down to serve people, to bless people, to love people where you are, but you won't do it. How, how, do you, how do you know what your God is? You know, I, I, a lot of us come in here and, and think that, that we're worshiping God, that we're trusting in Jesus, but are we, are we really trusting and looking to him as our God. He, here's what you know what your God is. What do you, what do you fall asleep thinking about? What do you, when, when, you, when you don't have to think about anything, when you don't have to spend your time doing anything, when it's free time, free thought space, what do you, what do you spend your time thinking about? What does your mind drift to? What, what is the thing that you would lay down everything to get? In other words, what do you find yourself pursuing? What do you spend your time pursuing? Surely we have responsibilities in this life and, and we seek to honor God. In those what do you spend your, your life? What, what, what captures your heart? What thrills you? What engages you? Whatever that is, that, that, that's your God. For this man, it was wealth. And because of that, he, he hadn't really been able to use his money to love people because he would have had to let his God go. Instead, he, he hoarded his money and he refused to part with it. And so although he was outwardly pious, his heart was rotten inside. And Jesus actually shows him that he doesn't really love people. Jesus says to the man, lay down your idol, use your wealth to bless the poor, but, but he can't do it. And so, so Jesus shows this man that his, his performance, his pedigree, his wealth, his resources, trusting in any of those things is absolutely futile. The, the, the passage tells us that the man was disheartened by Jesus' words and, and walked away sorrowful. And th that, that idea that he walks away sorrowful carries the connotation and sort of the, 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 the air of finality. He, he doesn't walk away for a time to consider. He, he leaves. He leaves Jesus in the rearview mirror. There's a, there's a certitude, a decisive leaving. Now, what was this man's problem? It's not the question he asks. It's a good question, right? Perhaps the most important question that we can ask. It's not his question. The problem is, is, is that he's trusting in himself. He, he's come to Jesus self-assured and confident that he has the ingredients, that he has what is needed to inherit eternal life. You can see it even embedded in his question, right? Jesus, what do I need to do? to inherit eternal life. The assumption is, just tell me what it is. I, I, whatever it is, I'll do it. I can do it. 
So he comes with the right question. The, pr- the problem is that he's trusting in himself. And why is he trusting in, his, in himself? He's trusting in himself because he doesn't truly see his need. So the, the, the first thing, right? He, he, trusting in yourself is futile. But here's the second thing. Y- you are desperately needy. Remember, how do you avoid walking away from Jesus disheartened and sorrowful, leaving him in the rearview mirror? Many people will. You realize that trusting in yourself is futile and you realize that you are desperately needy. Look, what what Jesus is trying to show this man is that he isn't really coming to Jesus with something to offer. He doesn't really have anything to bring to the table. If, if this man really saw his need, if he really saw himself truly as absolutely poor, as morally bankrupt and utterly needy, and, and if you saw yourself truly, if you really saw yourself truly for who you were in the light of Scripture, you would see how silly it is to bring your resume to Jesus. But, but here's the problem. Wealth often blinds people to their need, doesn't it? Wealth often blinds people to their need. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. He says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Is it sinful to be wealthy in the Bible? It's not. The Bible doesn't say that wealth is sinful. Wealth in and of itself uh, is, is, can be a great resource used for the kingdom. And many of the people, you think of Abraham, you think of David, uh, you, you think of Joseph. Like, many men were, were wealthy. But Jesus warns here of what he refers to elsewhere as the deceitfulness of riches. You see, wealth lies to you. Ever so subtly, wealth says to you, you don't have need. You don't, you don't actually need God. You're good. You, you can take care of it. You have what you need. And if you need something, you can get it. You'll take, you got it. And it's precisely for that reason that Jesus says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. Why? Because they're blind to their need. They, they don't see their need. They will never come to Christ to, to meet their need. They will go on thinking that what they have is enough and that what they are doing is enough. Do, do you see, even in the way that Jesus addresses the disciples, he's driving at this issue of need. Do you, did you see how Jesus addresses the disciples? How does he address them? L- look there. Uh, verse 24. To his disciples, but Jesus said to them again, children. Children. What are children? Children are needy. Children are dependent. Right? He's saying, if you, if you come to me like this rich man, self-assured and confident that you have the goods, it's not, no. What, the, way you, the way you need to come to me is, is like a child. Knowing your need with hands open, knowing that, that, that I'm the only one that can actually meet that need. Okay, so... What is the actual need? I'm telling you you're needy. I'm telling you you're desperately needy. But, but, but what, what is the actual need? And here it is. Your deepest need, your deepest need, all of life, 
Your deepest need is the need for salvation. It's the need to be rescued. It's the need to be delivered. It's the need to be forgiven of sin and reconciled to God. Look at the disciples' question. After, after Jesus tells them how difficult it will be for the likes of this rich man and for the wealthy to enter the kingdom, they ask, then who can be saved? Right? How difficult will it be? It's like trying to stick a camel through the eye of a needle. Is Jesus saying it's going to be really, really hard? Is it possible to fit a camel through the eye of a needle? It's not. Right? Je- Jesus is saying this is impossible. And the disciples respond, well, then who can be saved? If this guy doesn't qualify, if, if, if this guy's not going to get in, remember the, the disciples' estimation of this guy. Right? This, this, in, in the disciples' mind, he would have been a poster boy for the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It, it, it would be like trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. And, and so the disciples sort of throw their hands up. Well, then who can be saved? Who then, Jesus? And you, and you need to hear Jesus' response. Jesus answers this way, with man it is impossible. Stop. Before you go on, you need to hear Jesus just say that. With man it is impossible. You need to hear Jesus say to you, there is nothing you can do. You need to hear Jesus say to you, you do not qualify. You do not have what is needed. You need to hear Jesus say to him, before me, you have nothing to offer. Whatever you would bring to the table, it's not right and it's not enough. It will never be enough to warrant your entrance into the kingdom. Do you know that? Do you believe that? What will you bring to Jesus? What will you bring to him and say, look, here, 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 let me in. We're just like this rich man, aren't we? We come with our list of good deeds. We come with our spiritual disciplines. We come with our law keeping and think Jesus can be an accessory to our already sort of put together lives. But how does he respond to us? He says to us, you lack one thing. And that one thing is pretty big. It's pretty serious. The one thing is you are an idolater. You're an idolater who chases after other gods and insists on trusting in yourself and not me. That that same seed of self-sufficiency resides in your heart. It's why when someone criticizes you, you're like, you, you, you have to defend yourself. You have to justify yourself. So your, your, your internal lawyer uh, comes out and your knee-jerk reaction is, is to defend yourself. Why? Because you need to preserve that belief, I, I'm good, I'm righteous. And when Christ comes to us, comes to us and offers himself, we... we we would rather have his gifts than him. You see, 
when Jesus starts wrestling idols out of our hands. This is how you know. Jesus starts wrestling idols out of our hands and we fight against him, right? He, he takes away a job to show you that money will never truly make you feel secure. Only he can do that, right? He has you working in a job that you dislike to show you that true fulfillment can, can never come through your work. Only he can give that. He gives you a difficult season of, of health challenges to show you that this world can't give you eternal life. Only he can do that. He gives you unruly, stubborn children to show you that there is nothing you can do to give yourself rest. Only he can do that. He brings one problem after the next to show you that you can't bring yourself peace. Only he can do that. But, but you're like an animal. You ever see like an animal trapped in a snare and there's someone trying to help them get out and the more the person tries to help them escape, the more the animal fights against it? That's, that's you and me. So what, why does Jesus do, why does Jesus do that? It's so that we will run to him. He exposes to us our need so that we will run to him in faith. With man, it's impossible, but, but with God, all things are possible. That's such a sweet word. You see it all throughout scripture, that the turn, the redemptive turn, that there's just hopelessness, there's nothing, there's, there's darkness, but then God appears. Light in the darkness, hope in despair, comfort in chaos, when all seems lost, there is God in Christ doing for man what he cannot do himself. Trusting yourself is futile. You, you are desperately needy. But the last thing you need to see is that God what, what is that redemptive turn? What, what is the but? It is that God is extravagantly generous. All things are, he owns the cattle on a thousand, all resources are his, and he is extravagantly generous. Look, the, the point in showing us our deepest need is that God means to show us how absolutely generous he is to sinners, to those who come to him humbly admitting their need. Right? You think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do, do you see? Right? It's the ones who, who see their need, who lose all confidence in themselves, and who come to God knowing that he has all resources, and he is the one who can meet their needs. They're the ones that come to God knowing that whatever they get from God is grace, unearned, unmerited. It, 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 look, it is the only way to receive from God. It's the only way to receive from God. It's grace with a humble, open hand, hand knowing that you have no claim to the gifts that he gives you. There, there, there's no way to wrestle entrance into the kingdom of God out of, out of God's hands. It's, it's a lesson that even the disciples haven't quite gotten yet. Their, their response to Jesus' instruction is, is pretty disappointing, right? So what they've heard Jesus say so far is, no one is good. God alone is good. With man, it's going to be impossible. It's impossible for those who don't see their need to enter into the kingdom. Only with God is man's salvation possible. How do the disciples respond? Look what Peter says. Peter began to say to him, 
See, we have left everything and followed you. In other words, Peter says to Jesus, but look at us, though. Like, look, we did the right thing, though, right? Like, look, here's our resume. Here, we did it. Like, he didn't follow you, but we did. He couldn't lay down his wealth, but look, we left our jobs, we left our families, we followed you. So what we did actually gets us the kingdom, right? We did the right thing. But Jesus is trying to show them that the only thing, the only thing, the only thing that qualifies them to enter the kingdom is coming to him in their need. And here they come, trying to stand on their own two feet. Like, look what we've done for you, Jesus. But don't, we do the same thing, though, don't we? We do the same thing. Brothers, sisters, why should God grant you entrance into the kingdom Why should you receive eternal life? Why should you receive an inheritance of heavenly treasure? How quick we are to start listing off things. Look what we've done, our resume, our qualifications. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Stop trusting in yourself. There's nothing you bring. Right, where's that? um, Here it is. Look, we sang this. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's what Jesus is after. He's after us seeing our need and coming to him in dependence, knowing he's the only one that can meet our need. It's only then when you see your need that you will be ready to see God's extravagant generosity. So look look how Jesus responds to Peter. (coughs) Verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Listen, there is a promise here that for, for everything that we sacrifice, God will give to us, will reward us a hundredfold. But that, I don't think that's exactly the main point that Jesus is trying to make here. I think he's trying to make a point about the generosity of God as we come to him in our need. Do you, see, do you see what Peter is saying? He's saying, look what we've actually given up for you, Jesus. Look what we've done. We have, we've laid down our jobs, we've laid down our families, and we've come to follow you. And Jesus is saying that you haven't given up anything compared to what the extravagant generosity of God is going to give you. And when all is said and done, your sacrifice won't even really be worthy of the word sacrifice because of how much he's actually going to reward you. He, he is astoundingly, extravagantly, astonishingly generous. Right? There's no way that anyone can ever come to Jesus and say, see what I've done for you, or come to God and say, see what I've done for you, you owe me. No one can ever say that. Why? Because every good thing that you have ever had or ever done for God has been given to you by him. Every good thing you have ever experienced or had, he's given to you. And and the second thing is, whatever you think you are able to, to bring to God, 
or whatever you think you are going to sacrifice for God, it will pale in comparison to the generosity he will uh, show you in this life and in the age to come. You see, Jesus is saying to the disciples that God's generosity towards you is so big and it's so extravagant that even the sacrifices you've made will not be, you, you cannot compare them. Even the persecutions will pale in comparison. And all because of how generous God is, not because of how good you are. Right? And so listen, on this Good Friday, here's what I want you to see. On this Good Friday, what I want you to see is that it's precisely this extravagant generosity that enables God to meet your greatest need and nothing else. It's just God's, gener- it's just God's extravagant generosity to you. What we find at the cross, that's what we celebrate on Good Friday, the cross. What we find at the cross is the greatest emblem of God's generosity to sinners. It's at the cross where God gives his greatest gift, his own son, to stand in our place, to do what we could not do for ourselves, to pay the debt for our sin, to reconcile us to himself. Look at how emphatically Paul speaks of God's generosity in Romans 8. When it comes to the death of his son. Romans 8.32 it says. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Do, do you see the logic of his argument? you see the logic of his question? He's saying God has been so generous. That he has given you this infinitely great thing. He's given you his son. He's given you his son and he's given him up to die in your place so that you could have the full forgiveness of sins and so that you could be reconciled to him forever. And if he's given you this infinitely great, if he's been so generous to you that he's given you his son, what infinitely smaller thing will he withhold from you if it's for your good? Look how generous God is towards you. Look at the generosity of Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord. You could say the generosity there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? Christ had everything and he laid it down. Right? The rich man clung to his riches. He wouldn't let it go. But Jesus does not cling to his riches. He sets his glory aside. He comes down in the world. He takes on flesh. He stands in your place under the law, and he dies a criminal's death. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's at the cross where we see how futile trusting in ourselves is. It's where, I, it's where all our idols get exposed. It's where we see how deep our need really is. But it's also at the cross where we see how abundantly sufficient Christ is, how abundantly generous God is in sending his son to pay our debt, and how ready and how willing he is to meet our need. And when you see Christ hanging on the cross, when you see Christ dying under the curse of God for you, with your sin nailed up there with him to that tree, when you truly see the generosity of God in Christ, there is nothing you won't lay down to follow him. The the, the passage ends with Jesus repeating a phrase that punctuates much of his teaching, that the the first will be last and the last will be first. How can man be saved? He is saved when he humbly embraces his need. When he loses all hope in in himself, when he puts his faith in Christ alone. The the first, that is 
The one who trusts in himself will be made last and he will be humbled on that final day if he tries to stand on his own before God. He will, be, he will be shown to be a fool for trying to stand on his own two feet before God. But the one who is last, that is the one who, who collapses into the arms of God, knowing how needy and helpless he truly is, yet knowing also how abundantly and how extravagantly generous God is to us in Christ, will receive entrance into his kingdom. Eternal life, treasure in heaven. And it's by grace. He will receive it, not as something earned, not as something merited, but as the free gift of grace. Trust not in yourselves, but in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you that you you don't receive us on the basis of our own performance because surely if that were the case, we would all fail miserably. We thank you for your grace to us, that it's free, that you, you give us entrance into your kingdom and, and, and sonship and adoption through your free grace to us in Christ. We thank you for Jesus' death on the cross, the death that we deserve to die, but the death Jesus takes on himself and stands in our place so that we might know the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for Christ's generosity to us. And though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that in him we might become rich. Through his poverty, we might become rich. Lord, help us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.